Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Luke Edwards. This is our latest look at the women's game from the Champions League to the National League, although there's not much National League happening at the minute. We'll get onto that later on. Although, thankfully, we did have more or less a full fixture list across the WSL and the Championship. And coming up, Chelsea are the Queens of King's Meadow. City are in seventh heaven. Miedemar pegs back the Royals. The Foxes remain in the hunt for promotion from the Championship. And we've got lots of news and views. And joining me this week to look back at the action, we have freelance journalist and Crawley Wasps media man. It's Andrew Rayburn. Hey, Andrew. Uh, good afternoon, Luke. And also with us, she's had a travel corridor put on her by the Dubai Travel Board. It's Liv Griffiths. Hi, Liv. Hi, Luke. Hashtag bring back Sean Ed. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's uh, she's too upset after the, the news, which we'll get onto later about about Jane Ludlow, mm. um, and also she's back for more. Somebody's not banned from any countries whatsoever. It is former FA and Aston Villa media lady Emily Lyles. Hi, Emily. Hi, Luke. So first up, obviously, there's only one place we must start, and it's the it was a much anticipated top of the table clash between Chelsea and Manchester United at Kings Meadow. And in the build-up to the game, both managers played it down as a title decider. Um, but early on in the game, Sam Kerr did her best Timo Werner impression and missed several guilt-edged opportunities. But Pernille Harder did open the scoring for Chelsea on half an hour after a bit of pinball. But then Lauren James scored one of the goals of the season as she glided past several players before curling home to score against a club that her brother Reese plays for. But the winner came from, yep, you guessed it, Fran Kirby. She latched onto a long ball downfield to slot past Mary Earps. And that was a massive win for Chelsea, wasn't it? It really was. And I know that obviously, yeah, the 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 the, the match, the importance of the fixture was played down beforehand. But I think that's always going to be the case uh, for two reasons, really. First of all, at this time of year, they're not going to necessarily uh, uh, want to big it up because uh, there are minefields uh, to navigate uh, still between now and the end of the season but also because nobody wants to big it up and then lose um, because then that becomes a real issue for uh, for whoever's bigged it up but um, yeah a massive win for Chelsea obviously top of the league now they've got that game in hand um, Frank Kirby was was superb like you said, the parallels between uh, between Kerr and Verna were uh, were there, but she's obviously uh, uh, stuck some more goals away. I think, mind you, I think Timo Verna scored more goals than people realise as well. But um, yeah, they, Chelsea could have been out of sight in the first 10-15 minutes. Um, Sam will uh, will come good uh, in those. Uh, you know, if she had those chances again, I'm sure she'd probably do something differently. But uh, yeah, she, they could have been out of sight. And then United, I think we've discussed this on the pod before change things at half time and um, it looked a lot better in the second half. And I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of credit needs to go to, 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 to the United management uh, staff for recognizing the changes that need to be made. Um, Lauren James is superb. She's a fantastic young player. Um, and really United needed to settle down in those five minutes after, after equalizing, they didn't Chelsea got on top. And of course, you know, with their attacking options, they're capable of scoring at any moment. And uh, really Chelsea deserved, deservedly winners and uh, were pretty comfortable in the end. United, I don't think had too many chances. There was one perhaps towards the end, but uh, yeah, they were, they were, they were worthy winners. I mean, we talk about Frank Kirby a lot, don't we on this podcast, but she's proved yet again, you can rely on her in the vital moments in games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how else, how everyone else feels, but I feel like there's just this, all of a sudden this maturity that's come with her game in the last couple of years you know, even actually thinking back to September, watching her come back after this long-term illness that she had, she would look to square the ball. She would look to make a pass. She wasn't taking on those shots. But yesterday, 
the calmness, the composure that she showed is a, she's adding just another notch to her already very successful career. And, you know, that's, that's what happens at the end of the day. The experience won the game for me. I felt like Man United gave it a good go. And we, we do have to remember that this is their second season in the WSL. To even be sat second is just a massive achievement and they can definitely hold their heads high because they did really well as well. Yeah, there's a, a lot of chatter on social media, certainly on our feed as well, about um, whether United were a bit under par. I mean, from their point of view, it did take a while for them to get going, didn't it? They'll certainly be disappointed with the goal that he conceded for Frank Kirby's winner. I mean, it was just a long ball over the top, any level of football. You don't let the ball bounce, do you? And that's what they did. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a really, really important point. And I know some, that's something that Casey Stoney cited at the end of the game that she was particularly disappointed with. And you make a good point there, Luke, in that it seems absolutely crazy that with all that talent on the pitch for both sides, it is a long ball upfield that Frank Kirby scores what proves to be the decisive goal from. But yeah, with United, I think it is important, as you say, second season in WSL, sitting very pretty, experience probably did tell. Um, and I think it, it's probably a sign of how far they've come, the fact that they are disappointed with the performance and they, that, that they left there without anything. But yeah, I think ultimately we're in for a really, really exciting title battle, you know, between now and the end of the season. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, we make the point about Man United's uh, development over the last few years. And I think, uh, you know, Casey Stoney was asked that, you know, how far away are you from Chelsea? You know, given you know, Emma Hayes has, has had that job for, for, what, nine years? And, you know, how close are Man United to Chelsea are? after, you know, Casey Stone has had a couple and she said not very far at all. Um, so I think when you look back at the start of the season, of course, when United drew with with Chelsea, I think a lot of people looked at that result and went, oh, that's a bit of a, you know, it's drop points for, for Chelsea there and a bit of a surprise. Um, I think it puts into context now um, that that, you know, was a, a reasonable, a reasonable result on the road, I think you'd call that initially. Uh, you know, so I think United are developing quickly. Um, and they will make mistakes like that long ball over the top. They will make mistakes, um, but it's about a longer term project, I think. Yeah, and United did miss Tobin Heath, didn't he? Chelsea had more shots one on one. I think Chelsea had 17 shots in the end on goal. And it's just a bump in the road this from Man United, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think we were all questioning where Tobin Heath was. I. I never really like to sort of say that one person will make a huge effect into any game, but her presence really was missing. You just felt like she could kind of control that midfield and give everyone that kind of relaxing sort of pace to it because they seemed a bit, you know, angsty for the first 10, 15 minutes trying to settle down into the game. But to be honest with you, I think Man United did really well. There are teams that have been more established in the WSL who probably go to the likes of Chelsea away, Arsenal away, Man City away and say, let's try not to concede too much. If we're going to lose, let's make sure it's one, two, three nil. Whereas Man United went in full guns and, and blazing and we're like, let's give them a real go. Let's try and like get a, let's kind of try and get a draw or better yet, let's go for the three points. And that's what I really, really like about Casey Stoney and her team. Yeah, I mean, let's just show some appreciation well for Lauren James. I mean, what a goal. She just glided through that Chelsea defence and then curled it into the corner. And is it a potential goal this season contender? Everyone's looking at me. Nobody seems to know, did either. I'll, I'll, some are shaking their heads, some are... It, it, was, it, it was amazing. I can't believe she's only 19. She's so cool. Like, I'd want to be friends with her. She's just... She, like, oozes that really nice, calm, collective vibe about her. And like you said, she just 
weaved in between that very experienced, like let's let's be honest, very experienced Chelsea defence. And she made it look so easy. That was not an easy chance to take. And even at the end, she was just very calm. And um, yeah, like I said, I'd, I'd be very surprised if, you know, in a few years, the way she develops. Man United are a top team, but there's lots of talks. You know, her brother plays for Chelsea. And I think the Chelsea fans were trying to wind up Man United saying we're going to take her one day. But she was really great. Very good. Could somebody have put a foot in though a bit more? Could could there have been? I mean, I don't want to be a killjoy. She was probably allowed a little bit too much freedom. Oh, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, just I you mean, still my thunder, Andrew. Every just... every there's an argument for saying that every goal, no matter how good, um, there is some you know inaction from the defending team that that that, that could otherwise have, have prevented it. Um, even those 35-yard screamers, someone could have closed the ball down a bit quicker. Um, I don't know. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah, she's a, she is a, a, a supreme talent and still young, still developing with plenty to, to, to go. I think it just just show her confidence. That's what it is, is it, you know, to take on the United, uh, the Chelsea defence. At a time when uh, in the game, when actually United really needed that kind of injection of directness to their attack, I think that was what she brought to the to, to that point in in the game you know and I think sometimes you will get those players who are better off at injecting that impact into a certain situation um, rather than starting for example a lot of the prettier goals have come from Manchester City they're just loitering outside the playoff spots and we mentioned it just before the winter break arrived that Gareth Taylor's men are starting to look ominous now and they battered Aston Villa Uh, they scored six in the first half all the big guns scored Ellen White Georgia Stanway Jill Scott and also there was two goals for Lauren Hemp and a Natalie Haig own goal threw in there as well and then the second half Chloe Kelly added a seventh Um, City are really flexing the muscles now aren't they? They are aren't they and I think it's it's one of those really unfortunate Fortunate score lines that you you just don't want to see, but they were absolutely ruthless. And I think the fact that they were so many goals ahead, six goals up at the break, probably is testament to Villa in 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 terms of you know obviously he's stemming that tide a little bit. But yeah, they're looking very very good. And of course, I've got Chelsea up next, so it'll be very very exciting to see there. Yeah, the big players turned up for Man City, and, and as Emily alluded to, they'll need them next week, won't they? Yeah, and of course, I think they had a couple of youngsters uh, making debuts as well in that side. So, I mean, you know, City are clinical on their day. Um, there's an argument to say that that Villa, obviously a, a young side at times uh, in, in areas that are uh, were, were, were sort of architects of their own downfall a little bit. But, you know, the first two or three goals, exceptionally well created and exceptionally well finished off. And I think the issues came for Villa when, you know, they'd already conceded those quality goals and then suddenly the defence uh, rather crumbled a little bit and pressure was put on and, uh, and yeah, 6-0 down at half-time. Uh, Gemma Davis, bless her, I'm not entirely sure what you say at that point. I was going to say, Emily, you've been involved at Aston Villa. Andrew, you're an Aston Villa fan, so it's post-mortem time now. Um, I mean, Hansen had a big chance for Villa, didn't she, as well, at 1-0, which could have given them something to build on. Um First of all, could they use the excuse that they could be rusty after their COVID-enforced break? But then you, you mentioned the last couple of goals. I mean, the sixth and seventh goals were just a mess, weren't they? You can play it both sides, though. You could say that Man City also had COVID relation, uh, COVID-related issues, which meant that they didn't play. So, yeah, I, I do agree. Perhaps they did look a bit rusty having that break and 
you know, being out of sync. Are they playing? Are they not? But, you know, Man City are ruthless. You know, they have so much depth to that squad. It was pro- it was a very difficult afternoon for them. But I would say, you know, to touch on what Andrew said, they kind of did, didn't help themselves and shot themselves in the foot with a few of the mistakes in the back. And also, I think when you look at, we talk about Manchester United and, and obviously they are relatively new to the Women's Super League, having got promotion for the championship. But of course, with with the sort of the brand and the ability to attract those, you know, bigger name players and and, and, the, and the big name manager, um, you know, that's obviously helped them considerably. Um, Villa organically coming up from the championship, if you like, um, uh, you know, they've obviously attracted a couple of, you know, a, a few new players, um, but they are still quite green if if i can put it like that and that will be you know where they are sorely stretched by the the the, the sides with the attacking talent of manchester city it's really interesting emily because i was andrew makes a really good point now that was my next question because on paper they do have the makings of a decent squad and i know they are nearly promoted but do you feel that they should be doing better do, do they feel that themselves as well it was interesting, actually, to watch Gemma Davis's post-match interview because you could tell she was, not just from what she said, but from her body language, that she was disappointed because she was like, I know we can do better than this. And let's be fair, they're not the first team to lose 7-0 to Man City and they won't be the last. But I think I think you're right. I think that they, they tend to approach games on the front foot, which has probably had varying degrees of success. And maybe there are times when they should focus a little bit more on shutting up shop. But it is really, really difficult if you are trying to implement a philosophy and a way of playing and one that served you so well in such a successful campaign last time. It's a really, really difficult balancing act because you ultimately don't want to go too far away from your principles either. And I also think, you know, yes, you're right about the Manchester City thing. I also think I'd have slightly, you know, you could put it down to a one-off um, if they hadn't just obviously got turfed out of the, the Continental Cup by Bristol City, um, if, you know, the, the performance against Tottenham was, um, you know, was the second half particularly was, you know, they were on the back foot a fair bit, although they did score the best goal of the game while we're talking about goal of the season contenders. Um, you know, so they've had a, a poor run of results recently, having looked like they were going to pick up uh, some, you know, uh, pick up a little bit in form. So it's tough for Gemma at the moment. Um I think there will be, you know, there will be easier runs to come. I think they need to be thankful that Bristol are also not hitting any sort of win at the moment. Well, yeah, we'll get on to Bristol sitting in a, in a minute because they've got, um, there's been a lot of upheaval there. But first, we'll look at Arsenal there in third place. They had a 1 1 draw at Reading. They fell behind following Lauren Bruton's flick from a free kick. But of course, Vivian Miedemar was on the score sheet once again. She collides just before half time after a rebound. And Miedemar actually had a good chance to win it, as did Jill Road. But Grace Maloney had a really good game in the home goal. Uh, this will feel like a massive opportunity miss for Arsenal, won't it? Certainly from some of the comments on social media from the likes of Katie McCabe, it would indicate that. Yeah, I think it's very disappointing from Arsenal's, Arsenal's perspective as Reading haven't necessarily been on the best of runs at the moment and they just got beaten, what, 4 5 nil last week against Chelsea. So you would think that they would have them on the back front. But Reading are tricky, you know. I've said it before, that midfield is just oozes so much quality that you just... You can't just be expected to take a win. It's never going to be that easy. And I would be very disappointed to be on that Arsenal team because, you know, they are slipping away now. I I do think the likes of Manchester City will catch them up. 
and they should be doing better. And I think Joe made three substitutions at half time. I personally just feel like that wasn't necessarily a great um, reaction because, yes, okay, he sees that there are areas that are not working for him, but it's just going to give everyone who came off like totally bash their confidence to say that, you know, you're only capable of doing 45 minutes. And it was just a poor day all around. I think they got a lot wrong. Yeah, and another decent point made on social media is it's a big game for them next week. They've got West Ham now, and uh, obviously we know they've got new management, which we'll get onto later on. But Arsenal, it's, they need to get back on track quickly, don't they, if they're going to challenge for that top three spot, even though they are in third at the minute. Yeah, they do. And, and Liv, you make a really interesting point there around the substitutions, because looking at them and looking at the fact that Anna Patton and Lottie Wubber Moy were two of the players that were drawn at half time, two very young players, two players that don't always get an opportunity to start Anna Patton back at the club. Yeah, it just seemed a strange decision considering it wasn't as if they were getting beaten heavily. They've got the quality to get back into games or, or to, to, to perform better. And yeah, it, Seemed an odd decision, really, or certainly to do that to two younger members of the squad. I mean, let's focus on Reading, though. I mean, their home form is exceptional, especially against the top clubs as well. They, they seem to do draw 1-1 against them, though, apart from the Chelsea result last week uh, when they were thrashed by five goals to nil. But hey, not many clubs will play against the top four at home and only lose one of those. Absolutely. And I think Reading, we've discussed this before, as Liv says, that they're, they're kind of spoilers um, you know, they are able to derail, I mean, not in the way they play, but they are able to derail, you know, a, a, a top side. Um, they, in a sense, we talked about Villa and I think, you know, you can lump in, you know, uh, teams like Spurs and West Ham into this bracket. They're the sort of, they they are, it's, you know, Everton have obviously gone above, you know, above that. But they're the sort of, that's the sort of the role that other teams need to be starting to play. They need to start to match up to these teams on a day to, you know, on a, on a, on a, one-off basis, um, you know, and that will create the, the the unpredictability of the WSL rather than obviously having it in tears as we do at the moment. But I'd also like to uh, once again reiterate my long-term uh, membership of the uh, Grace Maloney fan club because she uh, she made a few excellent saves in that game. Don't start talking about tears, Andrew. Not on do you a remember her back in podcast. The... <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> Andrew. Do you remember her back in the day for Villa on loan? Um, a little while ago, that isn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to think what year it must be 2015, something like that. But she was absolutely exceptional, you know, and she won games on her own, really, with some of her contributions. Yeah, and she's you know, she's a she's a uh, you know, a really really top keeper. Um, you know, and I think, um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, apart from that little villa spell, you know, obviously, Reading. Reading through and through, if you like, and and I think they are, you know, I think that's that's also something that 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 I think gets forgotten about in in the WSL is that there are obviously some players who are, you know, who who, who you build teams around, and almost Reading do that with their goalkeeper, which is a little bit of an odd thing to say, but you know, it, she's so reliable at the back that I think there is that coordination with the back four and she'll have had different players in that back four, of course, but you know, Maloney remains a constant. And I think for Reading, that's really important. 
Everton remain best at the rest in, in fifth. They beat Bristol City 4 0. There was two goals from Izzy Christensen and Simone McGill and also Megan Finnegan got on the score sheet. It leaves Bristol City marooned at the foot of the table and Tanya Oxterby has now gone on maternity leave, taking over on a temporary basis his former West Ham boss, Matt Beard. Um, but for Everton, it was good to see Izzy Christensen on the score sheet, wasn't it? It was fantastic to see her back on the score sheet. I think she's one of those players. She's been very consistent for a long time. She obviously moved to Lyon, did very, very well over there and, and has come back to the league. And I think under quite a lot of pressure, really, at Everton because she is one of the players that's expected to perform. And in some respects, is probably under a little bit more pressure than if she were to you know, have gone to City, United, one of those other teams. But yeah, really, really good and, and certainly bodes well from an England point of view and, and possibly from a GB point of view, thinking ahead to Tokyo as well. Everton are six points off third place. They've got a game in hand. Can they spell the party? I mean, it will mean that one of the big four will miss out on Europe potentially, but can Everton muscle the way in? Everton have the the, the, the quality. They've got, they've got uh, Birmingham and Tottenham coming up. Uh, yeah, Reading, and then they've got a, a run of Man City, Chelsea in there. So, look, they're 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 a capable side, but you've got to you, you know, can you see the other top side slipping up to allow them in in the first place? Uh, you know, that's got to happen, or they've got to to to, to beat those teams above them, um, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on those individual games. And just quickly then, do you think out of the top three, do you think Arsenal are the ones most in danger of missing out? I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, we've still got quite a while to go. And as good as Man United have been, it's all about whether those that team can kind of push on. You know, we talk about experience and how lots of them actually started in the championship. And yeah, it's all about duration, really. So I think Man United, Man City could slip up just as well as Arsenal. So it's it's fair game between them. In terms of Bristol City, as we said, Matt Beard has taken on a tough job there, hasn't he? I mean, I'm guessing his first job is to raise morale at the club and get the best out of some of the talented youngsters that are there. Yeah, it's an interesting little gig, isn't it? When you, you know, when you, you sort of take over somebody else's job, you know, it, it, it and just sit there for them, you know, just, just warm their seat. Um, He's obviously very keen to get back into to management after leaving West Ham. Um, it means he won't be a rival for us for a, for a podcast, which he wanted to. Uh, he wanted to. He wanted to set up his own podcast at one stage, so he might be a little bit too busy for that now. Um, but yeah, he's he's almost got a bit of a free hit in a way. Um, he can raise morale. There's, he can't. It can't get any worse for Bristol City. Let's face it. And I think the uh, the, the 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 task that awaits him was uh, demonstrated to him on. Uh, on Sunday, because the, again, rather like Villa, it was a team who defensively were lacking in a in a bit of confidence and, and organisation. That's going to be the big thing for Matt is he will want to to get them organised first and foremost and make them hard to beat. It's a massively interesting conundrum, though, isn't it? Because you look and they are only five points off um, the teams above them, and if Matt Beard does do a good job, all of a sudden does that. Do, do they, are the board at Bristol City under pressure then to put him in charge permanently, even though Tangerock should be is kind of left because she's gone off to have a baby? So you're kind of getting into sticky ground then, aren't you? But if Matt Beard does do a really good job, it's it's question that's got to be asked, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what the, the you know what talk, discussions have had a bit have been around that. I think uh, you know Tanya will be will be presumably, I think you know will will, will take that job back if she, if she wants it you know i i, I think the tr- the trouble is there Luke. you talk about i mean they're four points off villa villa have two games in hand 
that doesn't sound a lot, but when you've only picked up two points in eleven games all season, it's it's a it's a very you know it's, it becomes a very difficult task. Come on, guys, you can't sack someone because they're having a baby. But I didn't suggest that they, they sack her. That's why I'm saying because you're on. No, you're on but different... you are you are totally right. It's a really strange situation because but also from a moral point of view as well, not just from a results point of view. It's it's difficult. I mean. I think if Tanya goes away now and Matt Beard does really well, keeps them up, sees that they're getting results, perhaps she will say, actually, I'm going to take a step back. I think, you know, he's probably the right guy to be taking over now. But, you know, you're just going to have to see how it's going to pan out. But I'm very happy that to say in 2021 that a professional female coach can go away, have a baby, come back and still have a job. Oh, she might leave the baby with Matt Beard and he'll have to pick up another kind of mess. Then. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> In the late Sunday kickoff, it was a defeat on debut for New West Ham boss Oli Harder. The New Zealander was appointed last week, but he couldn't prevent Lucy Quinn scoring her first goal this season to give Spurs the three points. And West Ham have still yet to pick up a point at home. That, guys, is a really worrying start. All West Ham's seven points have come away from home, and it's something Oli Harder will have to address, won't he? And quickly. Yeah, 100%. And I think it, it's 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 quite an unusual stat, really, isn't it, as well? As you say, you wouldn't expect that for for a team that's probably it might be a bit strong to say struggling, but for a team that doesn't, you know, consistently pick up victories, pick up points. But yeah, that's something that he will certainly have to address. And it's bizarre because at the moment you can't really put it down to the fact that there's pressure from a home crowd that you might traditionally have if you're not performing to your ability. So yeah, it certainly is. But on the flip side of that, what a, what a fantastic result for Tottenham. Third straight WSL win. Fantastic. I mean, Rianne Skinner certainly hit the ground running there. Yeah, she's quietly going about her business, isn't she, at Spurs? No, absolutely. She, she's doing a brilliant job. I think, and, and I have thought about this a lot recently, I'm thinking, I wonder what you can put it down to. Is it simply that new manager bounce? Is it just the fact that she's got some fresh ideas? And I'd probably say it's probably a combination of the two because she obviously got that fantastic win against Brighton to start out. And you look at their performances and certainly what you read and what you see from the highlights, you know, that, they look good in attack, but they're also really dogged and organised at the back. So, yeah, all of a sudden, they've sort of gone from strugglers to looking like a really solid team in WSL. And she and her staff do deserve a lot of credit for that. For West Ham, they had a blow earlier in the month as, as Rachel Daly went back to America. Houston Dash recalled her, but they have made Emily Van Egmond's loan spell from Melbourne City permanent and they need her to make an impact. But interestingly, Andrew, this is her 16th move, and she's only 27, and that has included four spells at a hometown club, Newcastle Jets in Australia. Uh, would that be a worry for you if you were a West Ham fan? I, I, difficult to know, really, obviously. Uh, it's a little bit like when someone sits you down at a job interview and says, so why did you uh, leave X, Y, and Z? And you know, there could be myriad reasons you know, behind a player's sort of nomadic existence. But I think... No, I think I think you, you get out of players what you get out of them at the time. You look at the Alex Morgan situation, she wasn't get, they're gonna be there for very long. They couldn't get her up to speed fitness wise and sharpness wise. And you know, but when she did play, um she you know, she she certainly dominated the game against uh, against Villa and that was enough to earn them three points. I'm not saying they wouldn't have earned them without her, but you know, I think it's it's about getting an impact out of a player when they're there. If they're not there for very long, so be it. 
The final game in the WSL saw a nil-nil draw between Birmingham and Brighton at Damson Park. A lack of goals remain a problem for both sides. Birmingham has scored just nine from nine league games and Brighton managing just seven in 11 matches. So I'm guessing it wasn't a surprising scoreline. No, not at all. I, I mean, before the game even kicked off, I would have suspected that it was going to end in a draw. And yeah, it did. Nil-nil probably tells it all. I think um, Carla Ward's team would be the happier of managers as she's had a few issues with injuries and um, COVID-related issues, meaning games have been called off. And, you know, at the end of the day, sitting pretty mid-table, it's not a bad place to be. You can you can sort of grow on that, get some new players coming in because I know that they've obviously had such an exodus o- over the summer of um, very experienced players leaving. So 10 points at this stage with a couple of games in hand isn't isn't a bad place for them to be. And I just think picking up also on the the, the, the Brighton issue as well, because they had a bit of a, a bad run of results as well in terms of the WSL. So, you know, they will have seen it as a chance to stop the rot. So I think probably going into it, both sides probably happy with nil-nil and even happier at the end. And I think that, as Liv says, probably an inevitable result. Yeah, Brighton's in your manner, isn't it, Andrew? I mean, what's the feeling down there? Yeah, I think, you know, they're a good side, Brighton. Again, one of those teams that can turn it on on the day. Um, They've got some younger players. They need to just add a little bit more sharpness in front of goal. That's always going to be an issue for them at the moment is is turning, rather like the men's team, actually turning some of their uh, possession play into goals. Um, You know, they've really, you know, they'll be pleased to have picked up that point um, especially away from home, and a clean sheet as well, which is which is always going to please uh, please Hope Pal. Emily, both sides are kind of in no man's land, aren't they? Probably won't go down, but won't trouble the top three either. No, absolutely. And I think you are starting to see a little kind of mid-table group form there, aren't you? And it it, it is tricky, but I think with both of those clubs, when you sort of compare, I guess I know we don't always want to go on about resource and I'm sure they don't want us to, to go on about resource either, but you look at sort of the resources they have at their disposal mid table, it is probably a really good finish. And the fact that that was a close game, as you say, probably quite predictably, it would be a nil nil. And the fact that they, they're teams that do pick up points pretty frequently and are quite consistent, I'm not saying that they won't go on and develop in future seasons, but for the moment it's probably about right. And, and I'd imagine, you know, come the end of the season, if they're in those positions, they'd probably be pretty happy with that. Coming up next, then we will review the championship. Making small changes to your lifestyle could improve your chances of staying healthier longer. Start now by taking our free How Are You quiz. Just search One You. And in the championship, the game of the day was at Prenton Park between Liverpool and Leicester. And it was a game that I went to and it certainly lived up to the billing, it was fair to say. Now, during the week, Liverpool had been rocked by the news that manager Vicky Jepsen had left the club by mutual consent, uh, ending a 12-year association at the football club. Her assistant at the club, Amber Whiteley, took charge of the game and they got off to a great start when Emily Thestrup put in a pinpoint low cross from the left and there was Missy Bo Kearns to slot home. There were some iffy decisions by referee Chloe Ann Anderson, though, and that really riled Liverpool up. And they felt hard done by when there was a trip on the busy Remy Allen in the area. Allen did try to stay on her feet, but the penalty was awarded. And Tash Flint stepped up and sent Rachel Laws the wrong way. But then there was drama just 20 seconds into the second half as Mel Lawley came on as a halftime sub. And she hadn't even touched the ball before she was sent off a reckless tackle. And although it took Leicester a while, they eventually went through the gears and got a winner. Thanks to a great low strike from Charlie Devlin. 
And after the game, I caught up with Liverpool captain Neve Farhey. But first, we'll hear from caretaker manager Amber Whiteley. So, Amber, it's uh, been a busy week for you, I suppose, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's been a busy week. Um, but on the whole, it's been a really positive week. The preparation um, has been good. And I felt like we were in a good place leading into the game today. And I think that showed with the performance leading up to sending off but even after that they stayed disciplined mm. and I still felt like there was the belief there we just didn't have enough of 10 players yet and uh, I mean a great great sort of opening to the game fantastic yeah. goal and then it just kind of a couple of decisions didn't go your way did they yeah but look at <laughs> I think when when you make the challenge in, in that way unfortunately you give the referee a decision to make um, so yeah, disappointing but Unfortunately, we left ourselves in, in that position, so got to learn from. Brilliant, yeah, and I presume you're looking forward to taking the team forward for the next couple of weeks, are you? Yeah, very much so. Like I said, the prep has been, has been really good this week. It's a pleasure to work with this group. Got a great um, great team, and that's from the senior players right away through to the 21s. And there's so much more to come from them, so absolutely we'll be ready for the next fixture. So obviously, like you mentioned, it's been a tough week. Um, where do you think it's not quite happened for you this year? Because obviously there's a massive gap now between you and Leicester. Difficult to say really. I think we've obviously dropped points when we've been in control of games and uh, not killed teams off when we should have killed teams off. So I think we've got to look at both ends, not being ruthless enough and also not see, not managing games properly uh, to see them off. So um, work to do on those two fronts. Massive encouragement for you though today, especially first half. I mean, the goal you scored is a fantastic goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a great goal by Bo. Um, thought she had a really good game. It's a nice play, like we knew where to exploit them. Um, I think we started off really well as well, so yeah, it, was a, it, was a, it was a really nice team goal. Penalty was a big turning point, wasn't it? There was a bit of a trip, but do you think it was soft? I mean, looking back, I can. There was like minimal contact and. She's been smart. She's she's gone down really when there was no reason to go down. But again, it's just one of those you leave yourself open when you stick a leg out, or so can't really have any fault with it really. And Liv, what a week it's been at Liverpool. Is it surprising considering where they are in the league that Vicky Jepson's lost a job? It is absolutely surprising to see Liverpool stood where they are. You know, such a big club. You think that they would equally have just as much backing as the men's team, but. That, for me, is where it's lacking at the moment, financially and everything in between. I wasn't surprised by the sacking, if I'm honest. Vicky Jepson seems like a really, really nice individual. But you just felt like for where they are, they need to be getting up to the Women's Super League. And I don't think she was the right person to be to be doing it. That being said, I don't really know who would really come into that role. Does anyone have any sort of ideas with names? I was going to say the next appointment's got to be the right one, hasn't it, before it's too little too late? Or, or is it too little too late in, in the end now for promotion, especially with there only being one promotion spot up for grabs? Well, I'm just wondering, of course, whether Matt Beard might fancy going back. Mm, although he's at, he's at Bristol City, so again, it's like, does but whether they Liverpool City? might choose to make a, a temporary appointment to the to the summer and then uh, review the situation, um, you know, and uh, you know, but obviously, yeah, it depends on how long, of course, he'll uh, he'll be at Bristol City for. But Although it's definitely couple... an exciting job for someone, though, isn't it? I think you know, even it, especially if they don't do it this year, the fact is someone going in there and to be that that person and that head coach or manager, whatever title they come in at, 
and to take them back up and to where I guess a lot of people feel Liverpool Football Club belong, then yeah, a really, really exciting prospect for someone, I would say. They face a bit of a challenge, though, as well, I think, because uh, obviously we expect to see either Leicester or Durham come out of the league and go into the Super League for next season. Uh, Leicester going full time. Um, you know, Lewis have got ambitions to to, to, to go full time in, in, in the not too distant. Um, Sheffield United are always going to be there or thereabouts. Um, so there is now that challenge. Whoever doesn't go out about Leicester and Durham, there is that challenge for them to kind of repeat that Um Sheffield United are always going to be there or thereabouts. So whoever comes in to take over at Liverpool, um, yeah, it's not going to be just, you know, they can't just trade on the name, if you like. They've got to to, to slug it out um, with those teams who are proving over the last two or three years that they are going to be, um, you know, you all start on zero. You've got to prove yourselves. But certainly, you know, Sheffield United and Durham or Leicester, whoever doesn't go up, you know, they're proving that they are probably going to be there or thereabouts again, barring an extra supplier, which, of course, you do see sometimes. I mean, we'll get onto it later, but there's a certain manager who's left an international job. I mean, could she be in the frame? That's who an interesting knows? point. Watch this space. Yeah, it just seems the timing of it seems quite ironic, but who knows? Maybe I I'm just playing know. devil's advocate here. I don't know. Maybe. I think Jane Ludlow, she's, um, you know, I think she's probably going to be quite happy to take her time with her next step in management, for instance. But where Liverpool are, like they are. 11 points from Leicester, unless something happens where Leicester falter, role, having been with Wales and Reading as well. I just can't see it, but could be wrong. But just going back to the Liverpool game, I mean, I'm sure people can help us out with this on Twitter at TWFP1, but has there been a quicker sending off in the women's game? I mean, 20 seconds was pretty remarkable. Mel Lawley came on at halftime. She ran on, tackled someone from behind and was sent off. I tell you what, though, Rinsola Babajide, what a good player she is. I love watching her in the flesh. She's got some skills about her. And I know, I know Emily, you always rave about her, don't you? Yeah, I think she's an absolutely fantastic player. Still so young as well, Luke. And, and it will be interesting, actually, that if Liverpool don't get promoted if she's picked up, because you'd assume she may be, I would imagine, um, certainly by some for, some WSL club. But she, yeah, she's a real talent. She seems to, whenever I've watched her play, she does seem to have it all, doesn't she? In terms That'll of skill, power, strength, brilliant. Mm. That'll go for a lot of the Liverpool squad, I think, as well, though, won't they? Certainly if they don't go up, they've got good enough players there to play in the WSL and there'll be a lot of vultures circling, won't they? And that's always the difficulty. But it was Leicester, though, we took the three points and we'll hear from Player of the Month for December in the Championship Tash Flint shortly but first it's manager Jonathan Morgan Jonathan 11 points clear you must be delighted to have that cushion especially on teams like Sheffield United and Liverpool yeah I, I feel that obviously this season the, the championship's probably been the most competitive it's ever been um, you have ourselves Durham Liverpool and Chef and I also think from that point of view, um, the fact that we've had Sheffield and Liverpool back-to-back on the first week after Christmas mm. was with the Conte Cup quarter-final, and it was, it was hard, but to, to, break, to break away from them now, like as a proper breakaway team, it was in Durham, it, it just puts you a little bit more at ease, and obviously we can just hopefully keep going and doing what we're doing and keep do you, going well. Do you feel that was a massive result across the course of the season today, coming here, falling behind and getting the win against a team who were in the WSL last year? Yeah, definitely. I think it showed our players' resistance, um, our resilience. I think going from behind at Liverpool um, was was difficult. It wasn't in the game plan, obviously. No. But again, the girls listened. We tweaked the formation. We tweaked the tactics. And 
thankfully it worked and we came out the better team. Do you think the goal just before half-time was a big game-changer for you? You came out, obviously it was a bit of, once you went down to 10 men, it was a bit cat and mouse for a while, but then five minutes or so before the goal, you really put your foot down, didn't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, obviously, going down to 10 men obviously always helps us, but it also made Liverpool much more harder to break down because they compacted centrally very well. Again, I'm just glad that we could keep our head. Um, we kept probing, we were patient. And we just knew that we we just waiting for that one or two opportunities to open up for ourselves, which they did. Um, I think, again, it showed good professionalism from the girls, the fact that they, they didn't panic or they didn't get frustrated on the pitch with how um, stubborn Liverpool became in mm. the second half. Big club with big ambitions, aren't you, this year? You've gone full-time. You're really stamping your mark on the Championship now. Yeah, I mean, I say again, we're, we're, we're quite, we try to keep our feet on the ground. We just take one game at a time. Um, if, we, if we do what we think we can do well then we will obviously hopefully leave most Sundays happy. Um, we do have ambitions, but we want to walk before we run. Mm. Um, we take them every one day at a time, and that's the sort of the information that we and that's the philosophy the girls are taking on board. And now we just look towards Crystal Palace next week, and again, we'll treat them exactly the same way as we treated Liverpool, and, and we just want to make sure we just keep ticking off the wins now. And it's so tough because there is only one promotion place, isn't it? And you've got teams like Sheffield United who are experienced, Liverpool. Durham just won't go away either. Yeah. No, I think, um, yes, we did bring in a number of girls um, from different clubs and stuff. But I think if you look really like um, the starting eleven is largely a championship from last season based team. So the girls, the girls have done well to compete with the likes of Sheffield, Durham and Liverpool. Um, I think it's just been their application from how they've been working behind the scenes which has made that possible but yeah now we've just got to um, keep working on Durham big game in, in February I think it's Valentine's Day or around about that weekend so that'll be a, a nice game for us to go to um, and hopefully we can um, obviously hopefully Liverpool and Sheffield maybe drop a couple more points just to make it a bit more comfortable and we um, do our business at Durham and fingers crossed see where that takes us and she scored again today Tash Flint she won play of the month for December I mean she's been a massive signing for you this year hasn't she yeah Tash we always have a laugh really because um, she seems to be able to score the screamers but not the tappings yeah. uh, so that's uh, that's Tash Flint all over but she's been brilliant so when she came in she wasn't the fittest and I think she's still was sort of suffering from not really taking football as serious as she, she, could, she should have done over the last few years um, we've sat her down we've gave her separate plans we've, we've told her that like if you get fit you're unstoppable um, she's not been well this week as well so the fact that she's got through three games this week not feeling the best um, is also brilliant and we, we're just lucky to have her because she just steps up in the big moments and that's what you need at this level and how are you after charging down the touchline <laughs> yeah uh, um, I mean <laughs> yeah I, I wonder it's very Mourinho-esque for anyone who didn't see it yeah sometimes I know it probably was going to be it was probably ill-advised and I probably wouldn't look to do it again but it was just such a highly charged emotional game today um, and I just wanted to go and show the girls how much it meant to everyone um, you've probably seen that with the girls celebration as well but yeah it was just uh, a moment of uh, euphoria I think is probably the best way to describe it Tash great win that in the end yeah, it was um, a free game week, um, a tough week for us, and for it to be the third game against Liverpool, one of the like hardest games we're probably going to come across this season. Um, it's good to get a two-one win, yeah. Especially to come from behind as well. Yeah, hundred percent. They got an early goal, which was a great finish by Ball. We just had to keep our head really, and, like just keep ourselves in the game, and that's what I think we did. Yeah, you, you took away the penalty. You had a chance second half as well, which you're probably disappointed with in the end. 
Oh my god, yeah, I just don't want to talk about that. Um, missing, well, I won't say open goal because the keeper was in there, but for me, that's a clear opportunity to get a goal. Like, that's there what I need to take a bit more. Um, but yeah, to get the penalty and get us back to 1 1 was brilliant, yeah. Jonathan, the manager, was saying how hard you've worked since you've come into the club as well. Yeah, I've worked so hard. Like, from when I've come into the club, I was obviously part time, um, which was hard, like coming into full time football straight away. But yeah, I think I've, I've worked hard. I've worked hard in training. This, like, I think it's showing on the weekend now that I'm a lot fitter than what I were when I first came in. So yeah, just onwards and upwards. 11 points clear now as well. It sounds great, that, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. It does sound great. It's amazing. It's, like, that's what we, that, this is what we want. What, we, what we've got now is what we yeah. do want, so. And, and obviously, a personal accolade for you, player of the month for December as well. Yeah, it's always good to get player of the month or goal of the month, something like that, but player of the month for December was brilliant. Yeah, it's always, it's always a good thing to get something and feel like recognised as well, so yeah, it was good to get that. And as we mentioned, they've almost seen off one of their rivals in Liverpool. 11 points is a massive gap, isn't it? Albeit Liverpool do have a game in hand. I think we can probably count out, uh, you know, count out Liverpool after after that result. It was one of those games, really, when you looked at it, that they had to pick up three points from just to kind of narrow that gap a little. When uh, Vicky Jepsen left, you know, I looked at the, the current situation in the championship table and went, well, they've got Leicester next. If they can pull that back, suddenly it's five points and a game in hand. Well, now it's not. And now it becomes... Uh, you know, very tricky indeed. So um, it's, it's Leicester or Durham, and we've talked before about them. Durham are just one of those teams, aren't they? It's going to be it's going to be very interesting if they were to get up. I tell you that much. Absolutely, chasing down Leicester are Durham, and the red carpet wasn't exactly rolled out, but Durham ended up being queens of the Palace after a one 0 win at Hayes Lane over Crystal Palace, thanks to a stunner from Molly Lambert. Sheffield United also got a good win, and Neil Redfern's men ran out three 0 winners against Coventry. It was a first blades goal for Naomi Hartley. That was followed up by a double from top scorer Katie Wilkinson at the very end of either half. Uh, Sheffield United also hit the woodwork three times and Wilkinson saw a penalty well saved. And as you mentioned, Andrew, despite those two teams winning, you'd say Durham are the nearest, nearest challengers. They're only three points behind. Uh, do you think the blades are too far adrift now? They're 10 points back. Yeah, it would look likely that that's the situation. Sheffield United just not as consistent as they were last season when they were kind of pushing Villa uh, a lot of the way. Them and Durham were were were, were, were the, you know hot on Villa's tails until Villa just pulled away. They just haven't found that consistency. What I find remarkable though about, I mean, Leicester are scoring a lot of goals, thirty six in thirteen, but Durham's defensive record is outstanding, and you know I think that it's, sometimes you say leagues are built on defenses. So if we look at uh, if we look at that, then we can possibly make uh, make Durham the uh, you know the the the, the, the slight favourites there if they can continue to keep clean sheets. But the big game is uh, between the two of them, uh, Durham and Leicester, uh, with Durham at home on February the fourteenth, uh, Valentine's Day. So there'll be no love lost between the two sides. Absolutely oh, not. Corny, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> um. The other game, the, the other game in the championship was a London derby that finished nil-nil. And looking down at the bottom of the table, Charlton are bottom at the minute on five points, but they are only three points adrift of Coventry. And vitally, they do have three games in hand. And Emily, I know Coventry have got uh, big ambitions that they've announced over the last couple of weeks as well. Yeah, they have, and it's it's a strange one with Coventry. And I know we've mentioned this before, but. You look at a lot of their performances, certainly against some of the stronger teams, and they do really well, but they always seem to come on the wrong end of the result. And, and that's ultimately why they're in the position they're in. And, and as you say, it's looking pretty worrying for them at the moment, the fact that they are just above the drop zone. 
but with Charlton having three games in hand and unless things change dramatically and I guess there's an upturning fortunes for Coventry's form and, and Charlton don't improve, then yeah, you'd have to say they're in a lot of trouble, which would be a great shame given, as you say, that they have ambition. Um, they're very open about their ambition and have been for a long time and they want to build something. But, you know, at the moment, I think that the the focus will surely be on, on retaining their status. Yeah, they don't want to they don't want to sort of put those plans into action if they're in the National League, do they, I suppose? Because that's kind of they, they want to be a well-established championship side and even looking further up in the future. Definitely. And I think if you take into to account what we're all dealing with at the moment, you know, we can't have supporters in, in the stadium, et cetera, et cetera. That increases the pressure, I think, tenfold for, for clubs at all levels. So certainly, yes, they with so much uncertainty around, you would think that, that for them going down to the National League would be really, really detrimental. So just before we move on and look at some other stuff, uh, Andrew, obviously we had Jade Widows on last week from Portsmouth. She was very vocal about the non-elitism and what should happen with the FA Cup. Obviously, somebody who's involved, as yourself, at a National League club. I mean, what's kind of the feeling around there and, and what should happen? And certainly in terms of the FA Cup, maybe they're going to do a coin toss and things like that. Well, certainly the coin toss idea hasn't gone down uh, very well, as you might imagine. I mean, you know, I can't speak for all clubs, but certainly, uh, you know, the reaction on social media was perhaps rather unfavourable to that idea. Although it has been done in 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 men's football, at least drawing of lots and things like that in major competitions as as recently as 1990 at the 1990 World Cup. But it's it's an it's an imperfect situation. We all know what the priority is. The priority is the health and safety of of of, of the general population, really. Um, obviously the top two tiers are able to, 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 to play and get tested under elite protocols. Um, in terms of the national league, I think people are now starting because we're starting to come up to that period, aren't we? Where people will start to think about that year anniversary since COVID all kind of really hit hard and, you know, we went into lockdown and it was quite quickly, the season was, you know, deemed unviable from National League down we're starting to get focused you know people are starting to focus their attentions on the fact that there are only a few months left some teams have a lot of games to play still um, it's looking dicey um, people are saying well if we're locked down till mid-February already the Women's FA Cup uh, they announced the other day that the you know the later rounds were you know wouldn't be played on the dates that they were due to be played I think the fourth round was due to be played at the end of the month and the fifth round in the, the you know the early part of February so those won't be played on the dates that they were going to be played on quite obviously because we're not coming back till mid-February at the earliest um, and people I don't think leagues will be able to take a further extension to a sort of lockdown protocol so um, you know meetings will be had between clubs no doubt and, and, and leagues uh, in the men's game I know that a lot of county leagues are starting to discuss what happens because again a lot of those leagues the women's game in a sense is fortunate because a lot of the leagues are smaller so there's fewer fixtures to play generally um some of the men's county leagues you know there are 20 odd teams in there and they you know what with postponements you know and everything else they've got no chance you know they you know it's, it's going to be very difficult um and weirdly it's different now maybe but certainly when there have been postponements uh you know leagues and such and governing bodies are very very reticent to extending the season beyond a certain date they don't like it now i appreciate at the top end last season we talked about contracts didn't we that the that a lot of the pro t- players are under contract and contracts are expiring could we push seasons back if contracts had expired etc cetera, etc cetera? well they came to a conclusion on that and they got around that but in terms of 
the sheer number of games some teams will have to play when if football returns properly, it's just not going to be doable for some of them. There is a fear, and I'm not saying that from my club or indeed you know other clubs, but certainly from my own point of view, there must be people looking at the calendar now thinking, I can. this is the same film, I've seen this film before, and it doesn't end well. 100%. Valid points. Now, just before we came on air to record the podcast, there was two pieces of breaking news. Both Phil Neville has, has left his England role prematurely. He's going off to, as Will Smith once sang, off to Miami. And uh, also breaking news as well, major breaking news, as we, we, we sort of teased it earlier, but Jane Ludlow has left her role as Wales manager and um, two national team managers going in the same day. And, and you made a good point, Angie. You could potentially have, I think the home nations will have no managers currently now, will they? Yeah, I think Northern Ireland are doing all right for themselves, I think. But uh, certainly England, Scotland and, and, and Wales are, are all managerless. Effectively, obviously, England have a, a succession plan in place. But right now, as we speak, as we're recording this at three o'clock on Monday afternoon. Um, yeah, they're, they're all uh, the, the England, Scotland and, and, and Welsh FAs are without a, a women's head coach. And I think that's uh, um, a rather odd situation. It's like Brexit, isn't it? Sport, sport version of Brexit for the home nations. I, I, we definitely haven't got time for that, Liv. Oh, God. <laughs> so That's true. We knew it was coming with Phil, though. I think we all saw the news that into Miami were looking, and obviously he's very well spoken about and thought of by the by David Beckham, you know, an ex-player, um, ex-teammate, ex-friend. So it was coming. It was on the cards, and... You know, it'll be interesting to see who will take that Olympic spot because I think there are a few contenders, hopefully current WSL managers who would fancy their chances at it, such as Emily. Who do you think? I thought you were saying Emily, such as Emily. Emily can do the role. Yeah, Emily could do it. I'm going to say no one wants that. No one wants that. About GB though, because it is a really exciting opportunity. And again, I suppose the one potential concern is is how any, and I'm not saying for one minute this will happen, but I guess if there's any kind of overlapping with seasons, how that might work with any club commitments, or be I appreciate there won't be games, but anything, you know, responsibilities that they may have with clubs contractually and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's a really exciting gig, isn't it, for someone? Do you think guys that that if there is any sort of overlap with pre-season or the start of the season or whatever um is that going to be a, a bar to to someone like an emma hayes or you know casey stoney um you know should it go to someone who you know is currently you know has international experience and is out of work mentioning no names <laughs> we're all toying with each other yeah mm. um yeah i think i think we it just depends a on whether the olympics takes place be whether the season's going to continue and be uninterrupted because perhaps they're not going to have time to have a pre-season. So the likes of Emma Hayes or Casey Stoney or any of the top WSL managers could do it. I, I would, my personal preference would be either Casey Stoney or Emma Hayes for sure, if they can agree it with their clubs. Because both of those, of course, have been touted for the England job, haven't they, one day? So it would make sense, I guess, for them to be in the running for that. But, do you know, it's interesting, Liv, I hadn't actually, when, when the news broke, I, I hadn't actually made the connection with the possibility of a club manager. But you're right, 
in theory, there shouldn't be any clash. And you would like to think that a club would see that as an opportunity, you know, if they're going to go back there afterwards to benefit them as well, because to take a team, take a GB team, which in itself presents its challenges, you know, having to work with different nations and, and grouping everyone together and, and obviously taking a team to compete on that stage is is brilliant and would only benefit their club you would feel brilliant well we're all have to talk jane ludlow around for various jobs and uh, all that's left for me to say is thank you to live emily and andrew for joining us this week on the women's football podcast i've been luke edwards don't forget to subscribe to us on twitter at twfp1 and also on instagram the women's football podcast until then look after yourselves and we'll see you all next week <laughs>